Andrew Womack Ministries presents this message titled, God's Love in Marriage, Part 2. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. I want to continue our teaching on God's kind of love. And, uh, you know, I'd just like to say this about Rich's teaching this morning. I was just amazed. He comes up with some one-liners, and he says things in one sentence that I'd take a week to say. I mean, I could milk that for a long time. And so there was a lot of information in what he said. And I really encourage you to pray about that. His, he went pretty well by his uh, outlines. I don't do that very well. But you can go back over that and get the tapes, and I believe that this will be a real blessing to you. encourage you to take advantage of that. What I established this morning as I was ministering was talking about God's kind of love, and basically the, the main thing was just to identify how God's love acts. What are the characteristics of God's kind of love? And my real purpose for doing this is that before you can get a person to receive what you've got to say, they've got to recognize the need for it. Uh, you know, before people will go for help, they've got to recognize they need help. And as a minister, this is probably uh, one of the things that I spend most of my time doing is trying to get people primed to receive what you've got to say. You know, the gospel is really simple. It really, really is. There is nothing hard about anything, especially marriage. It's so clear in the Word of God how to make a marriage work. But the reason most marriages aren't functioning better is simply because people are not facing the facts uh, many times. They just are trying to ignore it. They look around and they say, well, everybody's having problems. This is just the way it is. And so 90% of the cure is getting people to recognize the need and open up to it. So that's really the reason I went at it the way I did this morning. What I'd like to share now is just to begin to deal with what is God's kind of love? And there's a lot that I could say on this. I've got an entire series on a love series. It's four tapes that uh, would be a blessing to anybody if they've never heard some of these things before. There's so much that we could deal with. Um, Rich, again, pointed out how important our relationship with God is before we can get our relationship with our mate straightened out. And I can't overemphasize this. We could turn this whole marriage seminar into a relationship with God seminar, and it would benefit your marriage tremendously. But we're going to address the subject of marriage because there's a lot of people that will go out and talk about your relationship with God and sad to say that marriage isn't dealt with as much. But I can't overemphasize that, that you can't give away something you don't have. And if your relationship with God is deficient, I promise you, you can learn a lot of techniques and yet it'll have minimal impact unless you have your own relationship with God straightened out to where it's, it's the life of God flowing through you. But one of the things I'd like to deal with is that God's love God's kind of love is not an emotional love, although it will affect your emotions, although your emotions get involved. It is not an emotional love, but rather it's a decision from your heart. Uh, Don Francisco has a tape out that says, Love is not an emotion, it's an act of your will. And boy, I tell you, that's just as right on as it can be. And a misunderstanding of this has caused a tremendous amount of problems in marriage. And we'll be dealing with that more in depth. Let's turn over here to Titus chapter 2. In Titus chapter 2, these are some instructions that Paul is giving to Titus, and he's telling Titus how to uh, instruct the people in his church things that they should be doing. Titus chapter 2, verse 1. Everybody found Titus? It says, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged man be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women, likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, 
not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Now, on the surface, this may not seem like it's got much there, but if you really meditate on this, it, there are some tremendous uh, things, instructions right here that would change your life if you could grab hold of these truths and implement them. One of them that I want to focus on is where it tells the older women to teach the younger women to be sober, to love their husbands, and to love their children. Now, when I first read this, it just dawned on me one day as I was reading this, you know, that uh, what is this saying? You can't teach yourself to love. And the reason for that was because I basically had a concept of love that love was an emotion. Love was something that you felt, something that you could experience, something that would influence you, but you certainly couldn't control it. Now, you may not put it in those exact words, but every one of us, to some degree or another, has been exposed to this kind of thinking, and I'd say by and large has adopted it to some degree or another. And that is where love is a feeling, it's an emotion that comes upon you, but you don't have any control over it. It's something that you can tell when it's there and you can tell when it's not there, but as far as to be able to control it, to direct it, something like that is foreign to most people. Most people think you either have it or you don't have it. It's like the dew or it's like a mirage. Sometimes you can see it, but you can't ever quite get there and put your hand on it. You can't grab it. You can't put a handle on it. And you certainly can't understand it. It's just something that happens. And a lot of this, it's come through many different sources. Of course, Satan is the author of it, but a lot of it has come through Hollywood. That is a mentality that they've adopted. They've put it forth on the screen, on the television, and most Christians are watching that kind of junk and adopting those kind of attitudes. You all have seen some kind of a plot sometime or another where a couple was together. They didn't really intend for this. Everything seemed to be going along fine, and somebody comes across their path, and all of a sudden they just get this emotion. They get this desire for this person. Chemistry happens between them, and they don't want to do it. They don't want to bring up the marriage, but nonetheless, something just happened. They all of a sudden realize they're now in love with another person, and this one they're married to is the wrong one or whatever. We've seen that kind of a situation presented, and it's been glorified and presented as, well, that's just the way it happens sometimes. I want you to know that that is never the way it happens. It never happens that way, amen. Never has it, and never will it. That what's happening there is not God's kind of love. That is an emotional thing called lust is the scriptural terminology for it. You do not fall in love and fall out of love. Now, I really encourage you to listen and receive this, even though it may go contrary to somebody's thinking, because this is the source of so much of the problem is that we don't really understand what God's love is. As we were discussing earlier, God's love is other people-centered and not self-centered. It is not trying to get and use people to obtain, but rather it's a real desire to minister. Did you know God's shown me this as a key in ministry? And I don't have everything worked out, and I'm just using this as an example, okay? I'm not using this to pat ourselves on the back. But God has shown me some things in ministry that most ministry today is still very selfish lots of times even in that. That we use people, the people on our mailing list, the people we minister to, and we use all of the right phrases and the right terminologies, and we've got this thing down to a science. Did you know they've got people that'll come into your ministry and write your letters for you? and uh, come up with your promotional letters and do all of this. They've got it down to a science. Exactly how many times you mention something, I've had them come to my door and tell me all this stuff. But they've got it down. They know exactly what you respond to, what color of ink is pleasant to your eyes, whether you underline things, exactly how you do it. They've got you down to a science so that they can send these letters out, manipulate you, and milk you for all that you're worth. 
They know exactly how many times you should give a testimony. They know exactly how many times you'll give in a year. They know exactly how often to send you a letter, etc., etc., etc. You may not be aware. I went to one uh, ministry that if I was to call their name, every person in here would know this. Very big ministry, and the, the guy who headed up the ministry was showing us some things and showing us around, giving us some uh, understanding of how things worked. And he showed us their six-month crisis letter that was written for two years in advance. They had four crises already written and told the people that we're going to go off the media within the next month if you don't give. They already had them written, had them all ready. All they had to do was put the addresses on them for two years in advance when they hadn't even had the crisis yet. It was a ploy. It was a manipulation. And uh, probably every last one of you have got something like that before. And sad to say that happens in the Christian realm. The Lord has shown me that if you administer to people, you know, it's the same principle. Instead of trying to use you to satisfy me, if I use our ministry to be a real blessing to people and really have a desire to give and give and feed people, people will bless us back. And that's God's system. But see, the natural mind can't receive that kind of thing. The carnal mind always, in a person who's operating in the carnal, some way or another, you'll find that they're using everybody. I don't care how slick their talk is. They're using people to build their kingdom, not to build God's kingdom, and not to accomplish the right things. And we've got examples of... Uh, just this last week, I read a letter that we sent out a receipt letter to uh, people that give to our ministry. Many of you get those. And in this receipt letter, it is not a ploy to get you to give again. I get some receipt letters, and, it, and they're in a sense saying, you know, we need you to give again, and they hardly acknowledge the fact that you've just given to them. It's just another opportunity to encourage you to give again. Well, anyway, this one woman wrote in. I read the letter this last week, and she says, I've been getting your receipt letters for quite a while. I give every month. And she says, you have just blessed me so much that you really try and thank me for the, for the gift instead of asking me for another gift. And she says, I want you to know I appreciate it so much. She sent in an $850 check. Amen. And she said, we just appreciate it. And God blessed us back for giving. But see, that's the way that God's kind of love is. God's kind of love is a giving type of love. It's not a taking type of love. So if you use that as a true definition of God's kind of love, then that means many of us started our marriage totally, totally, totally in a carnal, selfish, oriented love. I was at a marriage seminar that I did for Dave Duell up in Greeley, Colorado and, uh, at the Saturday night session of this seminar. He had all of the people in his church just get up and talk about how they meant. And I tell you what, I, Jamie and I were totally embarrassed. 90% <laughs> of the testimonies of these people were, well, I was in a bar and I was half drunk and I saw this gorgeous girl come walking in and she wasn't wearing hardly anything and I took her home and we lived together for three months and then got married. And I mean, that's about the way the majority of those testimonies went. And I mean, there was 100 people there and I'd say, well, 80% of them were something similar to that. Now, I'm not condemning you, but I'm saying that if that's the way your marriage got started, you've got some room for improvement. Amen. You can call that what you want, but that wasn't God's love. And I'd say even those of you who are Christians, most of the time Christians don't go about getting married in God's system. They go out and pick and choose and shop and play the market and do everything else and, and then make their decision and then hope God blesses it. And that's not the way God intended it. Now, all that stuff's behind us, but it's important that you recognize that that is not God's system. And what many of us have called love is nothing more than a lust 
And one way of discerning that is that love is not an emotion. Love is an act of your will. Love is something that you choose to do. Love is a force that comes out of your spirit, man, not out of your emotional man. Now, if you're being ruled by your emotions, you are not walking in God's kind of love. And emotions, most of the time, I'll say most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, emotions are a hindrance to God's kind of love. Because God's kind of love is a constant. It does not fluctuate. Emotions fluctuate, and a person who goes by their emotions at one time will feel love, the next time won't feel love, and they will cause problems in their marriage because of that kind of mentality. You've got to recognize that you can choose to love a person. Now, see here, Paul was admonishing them to teach the older, I mean, teach the younger women to love their husbands. And when I first thought that, I thought, now, how can you teach somebody to love? Either you're struck with love, you've got it, or you don't have it. You know, the world pictures it like this little naked uh, Cupid that goes around with a bow and arrow, and they uh, shoots people, and they fall in love and fall out of love. Man, that's foolish. But you know, we basically have a concept, something like that that you just get struck with love and all of a sudden you're overwhelmed and you can't control it. I mean, it's just bigger than the both of you. Well, I want you to know that that's not God. And if that's what you are operating in and if that's what you use to get married, your marriage is on shaky ground because you're liable to get struck some other time for somebody other than your mate. And you know what? If you're ruled by emotions, that's the reason that there's lust. That's the reason that in their heart people commit adultery. That's the reason that the physical act of adultery comes is because people are moved by their emotions. And like we were sharing earlier, when your mate gets up and someday she hadn't got all of her makeup on, curlers in her hair, your emotions are going to go in different directions. Amen. When that man, you know, gets a few years older and he's uh, got the chest of drawers disease. <laughs> all ever heard of that? That's where your chest is done dropped down into your drawers. <laughs> and he's no longer a weightlifter and he's no longer all of these things. His hair's getting, you know, his head's getting bald and slick. All of a sudden, emotions are going to lead you in another direction. But that's not the way that God's love is. And so you've got to recognize that God's love is something that you choose to do. Did you know, by and large, emotions... You have to teach children that you don't go by emotions. You take a child and, you know, they don't enjoy really doing the things that are necessary. They enjoy playing. But you have to discipline them and train them that they need to do what's right. And then there will be time to play later and things like this. There's a time and a place for things. But you have to teach them not to be ruled by emotions. Somebody takes something away from them, their emotions wants to punch them right in the nose. And you tell them, no, diplomacy is a better way. Amen. And you start teaching them a better way. You know what's actually happening with a lot of us is we're just adult brats. We have never learned to control our emotions. Our emotions have controlled us from day one. When we were a little kid and we wanted something, we'd throw a fit. Fall down on the floor and scream and holler, and you know what most parents will do? They'll reward you and give you what you wanted because they don't like the scene and they don't like the problem, so they will give you a positive reinforcement for that negative behavior. And we have grown up, now we no longer fall on the floor and scream and holler and kick our feet, but we use different things. We still use our temper, we use our, our selfishness to manipulate people. And we're just very self-centered. We're a motion rule. We want what's going to feel good for us, what's right for us. And I promise you, when you marry a person, and this is no discredit to the person you're married to, regardless of who you're married to, that person is going to offend you. 
Two people living together are not going to see eye to eye on everything. There's going to be times that you're going to want to brush your teeth and your wife is curling her hair and it's inconvenient and it's a problem. And after years of that, you know, little things like that can get to you. One of the last marriage seminars we had, you, you couldn't believe some of the questions, the things that people said bothered them the most. One of them was that the husband would leave his toenails in the carpet and that woman was ready to divorce him over that. Somebody else got that problem? <laughs> this man back here, his wife was pointing at him. My wife bought me a jar that says belly button lint. Because I'm always taking the lint out of my belly button and dropping it on the floor or something. I mean, it doesn't have to be something big, you know. I mean, you can... Things will grate on you after a while. So what I'm saying is, there's going to be things that offend you through that person sooner or later. And if you're ruled by emotions, I promise you, I can promise you this without any reservation at all, that there's going to be time your emotions will not love that person. And when that happens, then all kinds of negative things begin to happen. If a person doesn't understand what we're talking about, if they think that emotion is love or that love is emotion, then when all of these negative emotions come up and they feel these things, they're going to look at that and think, boy... Did I get a wrong deal? I wonder, you know, maybe I never really loved this person. I couldn't tell you of the number of people that have come to me in fear because they say, you know, I feel that there's a spark gone out of our marriage. I feel that there's not the romance. There's not the same feeling that we had at one time. And they're operating in fear because they feel that something's kind of, you know, it's just like sand running out of something. They can't control it. It's just slipping away from them. And they're operating in fear. What do we do to recapture this feeling? Well, you grow up, amen, and realize that love is not a feeling, that it's a decision. Now, praise God for the emotions, and praise God if you'll begin to operate in what the Word says, you will have emotions, but I'm saying that there's times that your emotions go contrary to what the truth is, and you have to make a decision from your heart to walk in God's kind of love. God's kind of love is a decision that He made. I guarantee you, when Jesus died on the cross, He didn't do it because it felt good. He didn't do it because he was just ecstatic and he had all of this joy. And man, this is what he had always wanted all of his life was just to die on the cross and enjoy all that pain. The Lord Jesus did that because of a decision that he had made in his heart. Love is a decision. When you marry, you make a commitment to each other. Not as long as your emotions feel like it. Not as long as the euphoria lasts. But you make a commitment to each other, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, regardless of what you feel like, you should make a commitment to each other. And when you do that, then the love of God that's in you will begin to flow out of you. Love in the spirit realm. God's kind of love is not a uh, variable. It does not fluctuate. You have the same degree of God's kind of love at all times. Now, I'm going to have to take a little side trip here, and I'm, I'm going to make it brief, and I'll be right back to the point. But I need to explain something, that you are a spirit, soul, and body. Right here in your belly is your spirit. John chapter 7 says, Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the spirit, which they that believed upon him should receive. So the spirit comes right here into your belly. And as I've said before, some of you look like you got more of the spirit than others. But that's not true, praise God. So right here in your belly is your spirit man. And then you have a soulish man that is made up of your personality. What most of us consider our real personality. It's our intellect, our emotions, and our will. And then, of course, you have a physical body. The physical body is very easy to perceive, and it's very easy to perceive that you've got a deeper part of you than that feelings that go beyond. Whether you've been physically hurt or not, you can be emotionally hurt. So we can perceive the physical body and the soulish realm very easily. But the spirit realm 
cannot be discerned apart from the Word of God. The Word of God, John 6, 6, 63 says, The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And the only way you can know what is a reality and truth in the spirit realm is to look in the Word of God. Because the Word of God gives you a perfect picture of spiritual realities. If you want to see if your hair is combed, you look in a mirror and you see your physical body. Now, you can't see the back of your head. I've never seen the back of my head in all of my life, but I know what it looks like because I've seen the reflection of it in a mirror. But I've never seen the back of my head. Everybody follow that? You've never seen the back of your head. But you believe that you know what it looks like because you've seen a reflection of it. Well, you can't see into the spiritual realm with your physical eyes. But you can see a perfect representation of it through the Word of God. And so you read the Word of God, and whatever God's Word says is truth, that is truth. That's a spiritual reality, and you get to where you take that and act on that just exactly the same as you would a physical image in a mirror. All right? So in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, the Bible says there that the fruit of the Spirit... And this is a capital S, which I believe is speaking of the Holy Spirit, but it wouldn't matter if it was speaking of uh, the Holy Spirit or your spirit because 1 Corinthians 6.17 says, They that are joined unto the Lord are one spirit. And so what's true of the Holy Spirit is also a reality in my spirit, man. So the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Those things are what you have in your spirit. And in the spirit realm, there is no such thing as a dormant season. Like, you know, in the fall of the year, we see the trees lose, lose their leaves and they go into a period where they're dormant and then spring comes and they begin to grow again. But in the spiritual realm, there's no such thing as that. In the spirit, your spirit, man, 100% of the time is producing love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. All of those things are there continually. And maturity in the Christian life. Boy, I'm summing this up in a nutshell, amen. Giving you all the clues, the keys to the Christian life. But in the Spirit, you've already got everything. You've already got faith, love, joy, peace, all of these things. And the key to the Christian life is learning how to go by what the Word says is true in your spirit and not go by what you can perceive up here in your brain. In your emotions, in your feelings, there's times that you don't feel like you've got the power of God, but the Word of God says that you have been anointed, that if you're a believer, you can lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. And maturity is learning how to go by what God says and not by what you feel. Some of the greatest miracles I've ever seen was when I laid hands on people and I felt nothing. And yet the power of God flowed out of me. The Bible says, when I am weak, then am I strong. Because see, I was not acting on what I felt in my emotional man, but I was acting on what God said I was in my spirit. And those spiritual realities are constant. The Bible says that uh, the fruit of the spirits love joy. Did you know that you have joy in your spirit man at all times? We have been conditioned and programmed to think that every Monday when you wake up, it's a blue Monday. So we start talking about blue Monday, start speaking negative about it, and wonder why sometimes we're up and down. Have you ever had moods? Do you ever fall into fits of depression? You know what that is? That's nothing but immaturity. That's nothing but you being ruled by your emotions. Somebody didn't talk to you. Somebody didn't smile at you. you something didn't go exactly right, so you're throwing an adult fit. An adult temper tantrum. You don't feel good because look at the circumstances. If you're ruled by circumstances, you're very, very, very immature in the Lord. And I'm not saying that to hurt anybody. I'm saying it to be blunt, to open up our eyes that so much of the problems we have are just immature. We ought to grow up in the Lord and realize that you are not an emotion. Amen. You are a spiritual being that has emotions. And if Satan comes at you and something goes wrong and your emotions don't like it, well, just get over your emotions and act on what God said and bring those emotions into line.
I prayed for a woman one time in a Baptist church, and it's a long story, but this Baptist church had had a split, and uh, they had another fight the night I was there. Stood up, and half the congregation walked out. They were up there telling the pastor where to get off and where to go and everything. And so he asked me to get up and minister. So I ministered on strife. I thought, praise God. <laughs> Show and tell. I thought we'd have a little illustration of this. And after I got through, a woman came up and she wanted prayer. She says, I just don't have the joy of my salvation. Well, I know why she didn't have it. It's because she was involved in all of this strife and her attention was on it and it was robbing her of her joy. So I prayed a simple prayer, prayed Galatians 5.22 over her. And then I looked at her and I said, praise God, you've got the joy of the Lord. And she looked at me and, boy, still just as down in the mouth as she was before I prayed for her. She says, well, by faith I believe I receive. And I knew that woman, no more by faith believed nothing. It, you know, all she was doing was trying to get me off of her back. So I grabbed her. And remember, this was in a Baptist church. And I grabbed her and she was a pretty hefty lady too. And we went running down that aisle. I ran down the aisle and drug her behind me. And this woman was humiliated. Boy, was she embarrassed. And I got to the back and I said, the Lord says you've got the joy of the Lord. It's a fruit of the Spirit, and I'm going to keep this up until you act like it. And so I skipped and ran and jumped back down the aisle, and boy, drug her behind me, and I said, you better get with the program. Finally, she decided she'd do it. So she started skipping and jumping and, you know, carrying on. And by the time we got through, she was laughing and cutting up. And when we left the service that night, she said, I don't know when I've ever been as happy in the Lord. She said, man, the joy of the Lord is just powerful. Now, see, most people would look at that instance and they'd say, well, when you did that, God gave her joy because you acted. And when you did this, then God responded. No, the truth is she had that joy in her all of the time. The fruit of the Spirit's love, joy, and peace. It was there. But what you choose to act on is what you're going to experience with your emotions. Your emotions are neither good nor bad. They're indifferent. They will respond to stimuli. And if you are all of the time carnally minded, looking at the carnal things, the negative cir circumstances going on, they'll respond to that. You can get depressed, discouraged, etc. But if you will focus your attention on what is true in the spirit realm and recognize who you are, did you know your emotions will begin to experience all of the fruit of the spirit? Love, joy, and peace, and all of these kind of things. It just depends on what you choose to believe. Just like Rich was te teaching earlier that it's a choice. You can choose what you want. If you don't like your situation, if you don't like the depression and the discouragement that you're in, you have made a choice to be the way you are. Now, your choice may have been not to take the weapons that God gave you and stand and defend, and so through your lack of choice, you allowed Satan to make the choice for you. But, I mean, you can stand, you can choose, you can bring your body under subjection, and you can will to walk in joy. And, basically, what I'm talking about is, you can will to operate in love, regardless of what your circumstance is. I don't care if that person has spit on you, I don't care if they hate you, if they're doing everything they can to damage you, you can will to love that person. Because that's a fruit of the Spirit. It is there. You can draw on it. And once you make that decision with your will, then the emotions will begin to fall in line as a byproduct. But you never let emotions dictate to you. God's love is not an emotion. It's an act of your will. And once you understand that, I guarantee it can help you to deal with circumstances. Your emotions are going to be violated. Your emotions are going to be hurt. And you need to learn how to put down your emotions and you need to learn how to choose with your will simply to love a person. Now, I could give you many personal examples of this, but one of them is that there is a nationwide minister who uh, I love and they have come out and criticized me, called me a Jim Jones, uh, no 
problem. <laughs> Don't mean anything, Jim. <laughs> we got a Jim Jones here, but this is another Jim Jones. And uh, they've called me all kinds of names and said that I'm just a cult and they've thrown the weight of their ministry behind me, etc. And did you know that in the past that would have really upset me? And in the past I probably would have retaliated, tried to defend myself. I would have discredited them or whatever. But God has worked in me to a degree that when that happened, I will to love that person. I will not to be upset. I will not to be hurt. And did you know that's been, uh, I think it's been four years ago that that happened. And I have never one time in four years, and this is a true statement, had a hard feeling towards that person. I've never felt bad. I've held meetings with them. I've been in camp meetings with them. We've been speakers back to back. I've walked up and hugged them, loved them, told them I love them. I have no hard feelings. I send people to their church, to their ministry. I don't have a problem one with them. And I will to love that person. You can do that. You do not have to respond. Circumstances are not dictating to you unless you're immature and emotion ruled. If you would grow up in the Lord and say, I will be what God says I am. I will draw on that love. I will to love my mate regardless of what they've done. You can turn that situation around. Now, I tell you, what I've said right now is just as simple as you can say. Anybody that missed what I said has to have somebody to help you to miss it. I mean, that's simple. But it's not necessarily easy to implement because we're talking about from a child. We come into this world totally self-centered, self-ruled, emotion-ruled, and most of us have never been taught how to get out of it. And sad to say, as adults, most of us have had this emotion rule reinforced. That's the way that Hollywood presents it. That's the way that most of your friends have it. That's the way that so many people are operating. Every role model you see is basically emotion-ruled and oriented. If their feelings get hurt, then that justifies whatever the action may be. But I want you to know that there is no circumstance comes at you that justifies any action other than what God told you to do. None. I had an instance one time where I took a group of kids to a Baptist camp. This is when I was still in the Baptist church. And they had real long hair, and this is back when it was not kosher to have very long hair. Their hair was down to their uh, collar on their shirt. And this was a very fundamental, rigid Baptist camp. And so anyway, I took them there, and boy, I mean, the, the leaders of that camp, as well as the youth in there, uh, when we went into the mess hall to eat, they would make fun of them. They'd whistle at them, ask them for a date, say, oh, please don't hit me with your purse. And they were just mocking these guys and, and making cat calls at them and all kinds of things. And these guys took it for a couple of days. And finally, one day, I found them out on the grounds in a huddle. And they were doing something. I walked over there and found out that, man, they had written out the scriptures that justified their position. And they were getting ready to blast these guys and tell these old hypocrites, man, who was right and who was wrong. And I went in and I, was, I overheard what they were doing. And I, I talked to them and I said, look, guys, I don't doubt that in the natural you've had your rights violated. They shouldn't treat you that way. I don't care if you were, you know, lost people. There's no reason to mock a person and make fun of them and do things like that. I said, they have not treated you right. But I said, you don't have any rights. They were saying, our rights have been violated. And I said, you don't have any rights. You surrendered yourself to the Lord and you have become his bond slave, his servant. And I said, you don't have any rights to get in and defend. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. I'll repay 
And so you're supposed to not recompense to any man evil for evil, but you're supposed to give them good and let God be the one that takes care of them. Anyway, I shared that with them. They prayed, they repented of the evil that they thought to do. And when they went into the mess hall that day, the people made fun of them more than they ever had before. I mean, really laid it on hard. And these guys just turned around and said, well, we forgive you. Just exactly what Rich was teaching. Well, one of these one-liners that he said, I'm not sure I can quote it exactly, but something about forgiveness is... Uh, well, let's see, I forgot how you said Something about that you, you refuse the right of judgment. No longer do you have any right of judgment left. If you really forgive, there can be no judgment that goes along with it or it wasn't true forgiveness. Didn't he say that? I got that anyway, out of what he was saying. And so these guys forgave and took away all judgment. They didn't pass any sentence on these guys. And did you know as a result... These Baptist leaders, the, I mean the men, the adults that were leading this youth conference, by the end of the week stood up in front of a thousand people, called these young people up, and said, we want to ask you to forgive us because you've acted more Christian than we have. And we didn't even think that a person with long hair, a man with long hair could be a Christian. And you've shown us more of the love of God than what we've showed you. And they humbled themselves and repented and confessed it in front of the whole group. I guarantee you, love's a superior way. But they made a decision to love. Their rights were violated. Every person I've ever counseled in marriage, they come and they say, but look what they've done. Well, who cares what they've done? That is not a justification for you to react in the flesh and justify yourself. Every one of you that has had problems in your marriage, maybe if you've come here trying to work out problems, one of the reasons you've got problems is because somebody is demanding their rights. Somebody is saying, look how they've treated me. If you had both partners willing to love each other, not based on emotion, but just a decision that I'm going to love you whether you like it or don't like it, I guarantee you, you wouldn't have those problems in that marriage. And that's the way that God's kind of love is. God's kind of love is not a reaction. It's a choice. And most of us see operated under a love that was totally a reaction. As long as that woman is the most beautiful thing that you've ever seen, then you just love her with all of your heart. As long as that man is Mr. America, you love him with all of your heart. As long as they're doing everything that you want them to do, then your love was a reaction to what they had done. But when you start living with them and finding out that they aren't perfect and that they begin to do things, then that same carnal love becomes a detriment and it will end a relationship because you'll begin to react to the negative things that are done. The love of this world will not overlook faults. And if you're going to have a godly marriage, you're going to have to be able to overlook faults and to deal with it. And the only way to do that is with a God kind of love that is not based on emotions. It is not a reaction, but it's a choice. Amen? That's the only way to do it. And if you love any other way, then it's not God's kind of love. Let's look over in 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter 4 says in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Boy, there's so much here. I tell you, we could spend hours dealing with this one chapter. I'm going to have to skip through a lot of this, but I really encourage you to, to meditate on this in the light of what's been said at this marriage seminar, and it would give you a revelation of God's kind of love. Let's read through some of this briefly. In verse 9 it says, And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, 
because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. How did God give His love to us? When we were perfect, when we were everything we were supposed to be, Romans 5, 8 says, But God commended His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, God's love was not a reactionary thing. It wasn't because we had done something so stupendous that God had to do something in return. The truth was, we had done something so terrible that God did something in return. It was a choice. It was an act of His will. You can read in the 16th chapter of the book of Ezekiel what we looked like when we got born again. The Bible likens it unto a baby that was born separated from his mother's womb, wasn't washed, wasn't clean, the umbilical cord wasn't cut, we were polluted in our own blood, wallowing in the dirt, filthy and diseased and, and defiled. And God came along and simply chose to love us. There was nothing worthy in us of any love at all. That's the way that God's kind of love is. Are you saying, I can't love my mate because look what they've done? What you're saying is, I have not yet tapped into God's kind of love. Because when you get into God's kind of love, you can see the good in that person. You can love them regardless of what the infraction's been. So God commended His love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ gave Himself for us. Verse 10 says, Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us, and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And as Rich said, that starts not on the brother and sister level. It starts first of all on the husband and wife level. And if you can't do it there, then you can't do it with your children, and you can't do it with your church, and you can't do it with your calling, you can't do it with anything else. You've got to start clo close to home, first of all. And so if God so loved us, that way, we ought to also love one another. And again, this brings back in the relationship of God. One reason that we are not really operating in mercy and forgiveness with our mate is because we don't operate in very much mercy and forgiveness with ourselves. Most of you are so hard on yourself. Most of you have a concept that every time you do something wrong, God deals with you proportional to how you acted. Boy, I wish I had time to explain that. That's a real problem, and I tell you, until you get that ironed out, you're going to reproduce that same thinking in your mate. Most of us believe that God is not going to bless us when we don't deserve blessing. Most of us feel that we have to perform and measure up to a standard before God blesses us. You know where we get that from? From the time we're little kids. Have you ever heard your children come in and say A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and then they wind up, now I've said my ABCs, tell me what you think of me. And you know what you do? Oh, you're such a good boy. Oh, you're the best. You can say your ABCs. Well, now we are supposed to reward people for positive behavior, but that's not supposed to be the only mo motivation. Did you know what we're teaching a child when we do that? We're teaching them that, man, as long as you perform, I love you. You ought to say, look, I love you whether you can say your ABCs or not, but I sure am proud of you that you can do it. Yeah, give them a reward for positive behavior, but did you know most of us fail to show the kindness to people that we should? And as a result, we only reward something people when they do something very positive and instilled in every one of us is a mentality that God's love for us is tied proportional to our performance. And did you know that'll destroy your relationship with God because your performance stinks? Oh, now, brother, you don't know who I am. I don't care who you are. Your performance stinks if you're looking at God's standard. It may be better than mine, but who wants to be the best sinner that ever got denied something? Amen. You're still falling short of the calling of God. God does not move in your life based on your performance. And see, unless you understand that, then you know what you're going to do? 
You're going to say, I can't reward my mate for a negative attitude, for negative behavior. You expect me to treat them just as if nothing has happened when they've been acting like this? That's exactly what we expect you to do. It's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. But if I don't do something, if I don't tell them, if I don't show some dissatisfaction over the way they're behaving, they'll just continue on forever. What's going to be their restraint? Well, see, the problem with that is most of us are totally conditioned to respond to negative motivation, not positive motivation. Most of us, when is it that you mow the lawn? Right when it's in, in unbearable, you can't stand it any longer. Man, you do it right before, you know, you're afraid your neighbors are going to say something about it or whatever. Did you know that that's the least advantageous time to do it? Did you know it's harder to mow when it's high than when it's low? So why do we do it? It's harder. It's harder on your machine. There's more uh, stuff to catch. Everything about it's hard. Why do we wait until the last moment? Because most of us are conditioned to respond to negative things. Why do most of us pray when we're in trouble? Because we really seek God out of a negative motivation. You know why most ministers are up there preaching, man, if you don't pay your tithes, God's going to burn your barley fields. You know why they preach that? Because you'll pay your tithes out of fear, out of negative motivation. It will get a response. People respond to negative motivation. But did you know that there's some real bad things that go along with negative motivation? Here in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. The reason you're paying your tithes is because you're fearful that God won't bless you if you don't pay your tithes. Did you know you're operating in a very, very, very low form of serving God? Now let me state this. It's better to serve God out of fear than to not serve God at all. But it is inferior to serve God out of fear than to serve God out of the motivation of love. And most of us are serving God with the fear that if we don't, God won't bless us. God won't prosper us. Most of us study the Word and pray not because we really want to know God and because we're having a good relationship with God, but most of us do it out of a fear that God is not going to answer our prayers. How do we expect to get anything from God if we don't do this and this and this? Performance-oriented. You know, that's torment. Fear has torment. And if you are trying to manipulate your mate and get them to shape up and become what they're supposed to be, through telling them things, you know, through harshness, through the wrath, through fear. You can get compliance through that, but you'll also torment that mate because fear has torment. Now, an example of what I'm talking about is that I had a woman come to one of our camp meetings and she had had a husband who was an alcoholic for many years and um, she finally had just taken as much as she could take. What does that tell you? Huh? I want to see if you've been listening this morning. She wasn't walking in God's love because God's kind of love bears all things, all right? So she was operating out of her own ability. She was loving that man with a natural love, not God's kind of love. She hadn't tapped his resource. She'd taken all she could take, and so she told him when she came to that camp meeting that if I come home and if you've drink, uh, been drinking any at all, it's over. I'm gone. And when she got to that camp meeting, she told me about her decision, and she says, isn't that good? She says, I think that'll make him shape up because I know that he really loves me, and I guarantee you, he, he won't drink this time. And she says, I think I've done the right thing, and she's wanting my approval. And I said, well, he may not drink. But I said, you know what? You become an agent of the devil in his life. And boy, that just shocked her. She says, what do you mean? I said, because he's fearful 
of being rejected by you. Probably the only person that's ever stuck with him through all of these years, the only person that's ever loved him unconditionally is now hanging over his head the fear of rejection if he doesn't perform. And as I read this scripture to her, fear has torment. I said, you know what? Satan is tormenting him with that fear of rejection and you're the one that Satan used to do it. And I said, as it continues on, he's going he's to build bitterness, resentment, hatred towards you because you're the one with... He doesn't understand spiritual things. He doesn't understand he's fighting Satan. So he looks at you and he feels this fear. Fear of rejection. And he'll rebel towards it. And I said, you may get some compliance out of him, but you're torturing that man. And eventually it's going to wind up destroying a relationship. This is why so many young people are in rebellion today is because the parents never really love them into obedience. When you start out with a child, a one-year-old child can't understand spiritual things. So you have to use fear as a motivation. You use the fear of the rod, fear of punishment. And the Bible says that you're supposed to do that. But did you know I'm 36 years old now and God doesn't want me to look both ways before I cross the street because I'm fearful my mother is going to whip me if I don't. That was only a temporary measure of dealing with me. Now that I'm grown up, I'm supposed to know the reason behind what was done. And now I look both ways, not because I'm fearful of getting a uh, spanking. It's because I don't want to get run over by a Mack truck. I'm supposed to have enough understanding to be able to perceive that. Well, we start off with our children, and you may start correcting them, but you know what? That fear, if the only reason your children are complying and obeying rules is because they're fearful of being spanked, grounded, punished, reprimanded in some way or another, did you know that you actually torment them through that? And that's the reason that a lot of this rebellion comes in the teenage years is because all they've ever been is, is had rejection held over their head. And man, they, they after a while, want to sever that. They want to get out from under that kind of oppressive thing and be on their own. They want to be free. A lot of us have become Satan's agent towards our own children because of fear. And a lot of us are doing that same thing in our marriage. If your mate doesn't treat you right, man, are you going to just love them and be kind to them? Some of you will pout for weeks. Some of you will carry things for weeks and weeks. Amen or oh me. And you know what you're doing? I'm not going to reward that negative behavior. Like Rich was saying, forgiveness does not mean that you're approving of what they're doing. But when you forgive them, you free yourself, first of all, to let the love of God flow through you, and you, fl you free that mate to be able to, to be changed. But you can bind up a person through unforgiveness. You can bind up a person through that selfishness like that. You've got to release those people and let God work with them. You know, there was an instance back when we lived in Childress, Texas, and I don't even remember how long ago this has been. It's been like eight to ten years or something. But there was a time that Jamie, you know, up until this time, the first three or four years of our life, I mean of our marriage life, we never confronted each other. We just prayed and asked God to take care of it. And I mean God because both of us were seeking God. God just worked things out. We never had a harsh word. I found out later that Jamie had been really bummed out during the time we were poor because of a lot of things. But she at least had enough sense to pray about it and let God deal with me. And God dealt with me and showed me all of these things. And that's the way we operated. And when we were living in Childers, I was praying for her over some things I thought that should have been different. She should have treated me differently. And, you know, it didn't seem like I was getting fast enough results. So I decided a good dose of condemnation would do wonders, amen. And so I began to condemn her in a mild way, but nonetheless voiced my disapproval and how I didn't like this and didn't like that. 
And you know, James chapter 1, I mentioned that scripture already. It says, the wrath of man works not the righteousness of God. I thought I was going to accomplish a good end by using wrath, fear, condemnation. And I, I can tell you by experience and also on the authority of the Word of God that that is not so. That's not the way it works. And you know what Jamie's reaction was? She wasn't even conscious of it, but she felt disapproval from me the first time. And as a result, there was a bitterness. There was a hurt. Did you know you can hurt a person emotionally? And it's just like if you were to take me today and if Frank was to knock me on the ground, put his foot on my chest and stick a knife to my throat, you'd like to think I'd just operate in love towards this guy, amen? But it's very possible that I'm still carnal enough rule that my first thought would be able to get out from under that thing and I'd probably wind up fighting him. That's just a normal reaction, fighting for survival. Instead of thinking about, you know, how can I minister to Frank? What can I do to help him? Man, this guy's bound to have a problem. <laughs> Our first reaction when we get hurt is to strike back, and that's exactly what Jamie did. Because I had hurt her thinking I was going to accomplish something good, boy, she began to lash back. And we went through a period of time there for a couple of months before we were able to figure out what was going on and just doing little things to aggravate and agitate the other person. And it was all started when I started coming on and thinking, man, she needs a little dose of condemnation to straighten her out. You torment a person with fear when you put rejection over them. If your mate does something that bothers you and if you withdraw a physical relationship, you aren't going to have any sexual relationship with them because I'm not going to let them at me. And I know that nobody in here would ever do anything like that. Boy, did you know that that's an ultimate, ultimate insult to your mate? I mean, that, boy, that's... Uh, you can get close to a person in a hurry doing something like that. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Defraud not one another, except it be with consent for a season, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and that Satan then come together again so that Satan can tempt you not for your incontinency. The Scripture says the only, only reason to withdraw from the physical relationship is with consent for a season. You never use your body as a weapon upon your mate. And there's a lot of people that are doing things like that. There's a lot of people that sulk and won't talk and they just get quiet. And on and on the list of things could go. I promise you, every time you do that, every time you express disapproval towards your mate, you're tormenting that mate. And you may get some compliance, but you will wind up, that person will go to reacting towards you as a defense mechanism. They'll go to striking back, and you begin a procedure that'll just grow and multiply, give, and it shall be given unto you. And that's where a lot of problems in marriage get started. God's kind of love does not manipulate people that way. God's kind of love will let people take advantage of you. God's kind of love, like Jesus did, He'll lay down and die for you and forgive you of your sins, even before you ask forgiveness. And did you know that He offered that to everybody, even the people that didn't accept His forgiveness? Jesus has been taken advantage of. Jesus spilt His blood for sins, and did you know that there's some people that will never accept it? Jesus died. He came to this earth. He became what we were so that we might be like He is. Did you know that Jesus, part of His atonement is to give you the power and the ability to be able to make your marriage function. He's given you the weapons. And yet there's most of us that are going our own way, haven't really drawn on the weapons of God, but did you know that Jesus still offered them to us? The price has been paid. There's a lot of things that Jesus suffered to produce victory in us that we've never taken advantage of, and yet Jesus went ahead and provided them. That's the way that He is. That's the way that we're supposed to be. We're supposed to lay down our life. And I promise you, brothers and sisters, that love is a stronger motivating force than fear. 
We are conditioned to fear. Most people will respond to fear very quickly, but love is the stronger motivation. Love will make you forget yourself. If you really begin to love your mate and serve them with your whole heart, they'll take advantage of you for a period of time. But in the end result, you'll win your mate quicker through loving them with God's kind of love than you ever have by manipulating them, criticizing them, nagging at them, withdrawing from them, not fellowshipping, not opening up, etc., etc. Love is the superior force. And that's the way that God wants to do it. And you can do that because love is not an emotion. It's not something that you just react to, but it's a decision that you make. Every one of you that have been born again, God has shed His the love of Jesus abroad in your hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given to you out of Romans chapter 5, verse 4 and 5. You already have God's love in you. And if you will to, you can begin to draw on that love. Some of you at first may feel like you're hypocrites. You may say, but I don't feel it. Well, see, we've been conditioned to think that what reality is is our feelings. But I want you to know that reality is, is our spiritual truths. And in your heart, you do have the love of God. And you are not a hypocrite to act on what God said about you. You're really a hypocrite when you go by your emotions and are not who you really are in the Spirit. When you begin to react carnally and not act the way God told you, that's when you're really hypocritical. We need to make a decision to act on God's love. And you can do that from your heart. Every last one of you in here, you can forgive your mate today. It's a decision. You can teach yourself to love your husband. You can teach yourself to love your wife. You can teach yourself to love your children. Because it's a decision. You can be taught. Amen? And boy, there's so much more to share. We're going to have to end this session and I'll continue on the next one. But I sure hope that gives you some encouragement. Some people have been trapped by emotions. And I want you to know that emotions cannot dominate you unless you choose to let emotions dominate you. You can choose to make a decision today based on what we said from God's Word and say, praise God, I'm free. I no longer have to go by what I feel and how people treat me. Or you can choose to say, no, that's not the way I've been taught. Man, if I don't feel it, I don't have it. And you can make a choice today which you're going to believe. So if you continue on in discouragement depression, I want you to know it's not God's choice. That was your choice. Amen. You can choose. Praise the Lord. We hope that your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. Remember, Andrew Womack Ministries operates a helpline that you can call for prayer and information at 719-635-1111. We have a ministry website at www.awmi.net and you can write the ministry at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs 80934. Until next time, we pray that you will reach out by faith and receive everything that is yours through God's grace.